I'm Jacqueline, the therapist, and I interview real people with real problems, no small talk. So this week, I interview a woman who had the cutest short chin-length bob with extremely short bangs and those kind of 1950s pointy glasses, um, kind of a playful, slightly eccentric look. Uh, her name is Kelly Absari, and she's an actress, and her story of her childhood history is just incredibly fascinating and quite disturbing so i don't want to waste too much time i'll let you guys get right into it enjoy so kelly you've done all this work on yourself as i've known you for a few years and i know this 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 path that you've been on and and what i've seen in you is this very very deep powerful self-awareness and then there is also these blocks that you've still kind of come up against time and time again and you have while you have this heightened awareness it's like there's still this kind of beating against it right like uh, your internal whiplash or backlash mm -hmm. really of going back into things and um i was wondering if you could explain a little bit more of your history and your journey i have stories that involve narcissistic mommy and my hair <laughs> and being used as a hair farm okay. and it doesn't involve cancer it just involves straight up narcissism Okay, okay. And harvesting. You know? uh -huh. yeah. My mom passed away earlier this year. Uh -huh. And when I went to get my hair cut this last uh -huh. time, there were three big holes yeah. in the back. And that's really... Wow. And that yeah. happened in... The last time that happened was about four years ago uh, when I was under a lot of duress and stuff was going on. And I was getting ready to go in for treatment for the eating disorder and it was just like mm -hmm. really like things were like really ramped up and it's scary I mean we just you know it's so it's so scary and yeah. then the more hair you lose the more the more stressed you become when you see it all fall out in the shower you know and and thank god as as I mean this is like one thing where women tend to lead more than men it's easier for us at least we have you know hair pieces and stuff that we can clip in whereas if that happens to men I mean that's just you know sorry you know, you know what I mean like we have things we can do to at least mask it you know and thank god for those pieces for stuff like that you know yeah it's in the I was watching this morning a made for tv movie with Suzanne Pluchette about Leona Helmsley uh -huh. she was the queen of mean a very famous real estate magnet in New York in the 80s she was my landlord for a time I had a uh, I lived in a building for 22 years and uh she said to her son who had just had his fourth heart attack and she I mean, just it was. I was reminded of the archetypal narcissistic mother. Her son is lying in the hospital, and uh, she says, "I'd like you to come for, to work for us, but I want you to get a toupee. You'll you'll look younger." Oh, bless! <laughs> like he's lying there. <sighs> and then I was just I was reminded of you know my mother, uh, who had thin hair, yeah, and fine hair, yeah, yeah, as opposed to me, who just had fine hair but plenty of it, yeah. You can see this photograph over here of me. Like I had my little Choctaw blood coursing through my body and I used to wear my hair in a very thick braid and wear my little leather Indian squaw dress and my and I was into like making beaded Indian jewelry and my mother used to sit me at her vanity and like comb my hair with a bristle brush. Uh-huh. And um, would say you have to you have to comb your hair a hundred times you have to brush through a yes. hundred times yes you know and then she would put vo5 so <laughs> it was like extra shiny but what I didn't realize I, I thought it was like perhaps even love 
yeah. and care. Yeah. But she was really just like grooming me for the slaughter <laughs> because she was actually coveting the hair. And in about 1969, she said, I'm going to take you to this very elite salon in uh, Tampa and we're going to have your hair cut like Twiggy. Which okay. was not a yeah. great idea because yeah. I was and a pudgy how long little. Was your hair at I the was time? not twiggy. Her hair was just your, your hair. How long? Um, was your I, hair? I was, you know, this big, long, thick braid. Ah, okay. And, and so, and also just long. I mean, I just had long, thick, beautiful hair. And um, so it was all cut off into this little pixie cut. Uh huh. And she was like exalting it, like I was the most fortunate little girl in all of Tampa Bay to go to this elite salon and have this most fashionable haircut. And then I was sitting watching her at her vanity one day and she pulled out a wiglet, but it wasn't a wiglet. It was like a big ponytail piece and it was my hair. And it was kind of like, I realized it was my hair and it was kind of like, you know, when I brushed my cat, and there's oh like God. a big lump of fur you pull out of the yeah, brush. The cat yeah. wants to put its nose in it, right? Like, yeah. oh, that's my fur, you know? <laughs> right? And like, I I don't remember exactly what I said to her, but she got on, she she realized like I, I figured it out that that was my hair. So, okay. So she took you to the salon. Yeah. Had them cut your hair, kept the ponytail for herself. Right. And did what with it? She had it made into a wiglet for herself. Oh my gosh. No. Wow. Yeah. And wow. I didn't really appreciate the implications of it until I was about 15 years deep into some therapy. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, wait. I wait. Of course mom... I'm a hair farm for mommy. Like, that's why I was born. Wow. To give her a, a wonderful wiglet. <laughs> mm. But, um, yeah. So I became obsessed with the wiglet. And wanted to use it for myself because I was with the pixie. I actually needed. You're like, wait, I need my hair back. <laughs> my hair back. <laughs> I actually need that wiglet now, mom. Um, Can I have my own hair back? Please? So she had like this cabinet in her vanity where she kept all of her wigs and her hair pieces. And um, I went in there and mine wasn't there. You know, and I'm debating bringing this vanity to the West Coast because I'm the only daughter. and it's... You need that. You yeah, I mean, that. I made a spot. I changed my whole bedroom around. I made a spot for the vanity, and now I'm just like really processing. Do I want to go and like get that vanity? Yeah, here? yeah. But like, so half. I mean, it was a giant vanity with big cabinets, so the whole left cabinet was just full of hair pieces. Yeah. Wow, it was in a whole room full of hair. But at any rate, my my piece was not in the in the cabinet, and I found out that she was hiding it under her bed because she knew that I was mm-hmm. obsessed with getting my hair back. Yeah, well, and I'm sure she knew what she did was wrong. So she might she might have felt a little bit of guilt. <laughs> just put that under the table. Well, um, so I uncharacteristically offered to help vacuum one day. <laughs> oh, no. And I took the Hoover and uh, decided to... Vacuum under the bed and knowing full well that the beater bar would grab the piece and ruin it. Wow. And that's yeah. that's what became yeah. of it. It became wrapped around the beater bar of the Hoover. The lavender Hoover. And that's that story. But it was, you know, and then when she died this summer, I wrote her obituary. And then my brother and sister-in-law added in this thing about, because she was raised in a um, 
Pentecostal church and she was the oldest of 11 children and and there was this song called don't bob your hair girls mm-hmm. don't bob your hair girls like it was considered yeah. unholy and an affront to the lord to like cut your hair like she yeah. wasn't allowed to wear yeah. pants go to the movies cut her hair um so it just seemed <laughs> that ironic i got the ultimate bobbing <laughs> and um you know it was it how that trauma played out, like I didn't re- I mean, I'm just now at this stage of the game, which is pretty late in the game, figuring out like I perpetuated that deprivation and not enjoying my my own crowning glory. Like yeah. I kept cutting it off. Mm-hmm. Even mm-hmm. when in my in the height of my own youthfulness and beauty, like I would just take the scissors and like cut my hair. Yeah. And, like, dye it ridiculous colors. Of course, it was the 80s. It wasn't like I was completely out of the loop or, you know, but still. Well, some people had really long, like, huge, huge long hair, hair in the 80s. Yeah. yeah. So, but it kind of makes me sad. Like, it could have yeah. been a real yeah. part of my, uh, my beauty and my femininity and, like, you know, a gift. It was a gift. It was yeah. a gift, if, if you believe in God. Like, it was a gift of my creator to have this hair and uh, I'm just now appreciating it. Yeah. Like I'll let it grow. And then I'll, I mean, I've been going through this for years. Like I don't think I look good with long hair. Uh-huh. I'm short waisted. Like it's not, it's not a great, but I have been letting it, you know, I've been letting my bob go below my chin or my chins yeah. as it were. Um, you know, and just really taking care of my hair and having a nice bristle brush and like, you know, taking care of it for myself trying Mm -hmm. to heal Mm -hmm. that yeah 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 that's what i was wondering since your since your mom passed where where are you now with how you're feeling even about your hair and and everything like what's what's happening for you well it's it's been quite um it's been quite uh it's been everything from, you know, tragic to ding dong, the witch is dead. You know, I got it. I've got to admit that it's, it's very, um, it's very liberating, you know, because it was just this relationship that never, you know, I, I really, you know, I have done plenty of research about my mom and her life and how she lived and what she endured and why she became the way she did in an effort to heal myself. But it never informed our relationship other than my, at a certain point, detaching and developing a lot of compassion for who she was and why she was that way. And then, of course, letting go of the expectation that she would change. I mean, she drank alcoholically until she was 91. Yeah. And then she fell and broke her hip. And then my brothers, who were her caretakers, and my father, who's now 94, was also caretaking for her... um, well, the, he didn't make the boundary because he was the one driving and buying her the gallons of vodka. But, um, yeah, they said if you, you know, like, and she was demented. Like, she, she had full dementia. It was alcohol mm-hmm. dementia. And then at yeah. a certain point, it became Alzheimer's. But I kept telling uh-huh. them, like, it's not Alzheimer's. She has alcohol dementia. It's yeah. different. Yeah. yeah. You know, and um, <sighs> so it's been, it's been an emancipation. It's also been very... You know, I've I've had to deflect a lot of my judgment at my my detachment. Like I feel like I should have more grief. I mean, uh-huh. I certainly yeah. have a lot of grief. Yeah. But it's well, all yeah. You know. I'm wondering, you know, 
having grief, not having grief, whatever you're feeling directly, right? Because we can process ourselves, our grief in different ways. Mm. We can be overeating, undereating, uh, handle it through work, be, you know, maybe being extra triggered in, in work situations, um, you know, uh, pour our energy into our significant others or maybe lack thereof love life. I mean, there's many different ways right. we can kind of process it in quotation marks because then of course it's a very inefficient way of processing it and in essence we still we take on the trauma we don't really heal it right you know? right well i mean i i i have been working a lot with my inner child and with like really reparenting myself i mean i've been doing that for years but once your actual parent dies it becomes more of a <laughs> less of a concept and more of a reality like whatever shred of fantasy was living in my unconscious that I would at some point have a nurturing mother, like it's mm. left the building. Well, what does that look like when you say reparent yourself? It looks like me having, you know, a Vitamix and having celery juice first thing in the morning. It looks like me going to plenty of 12 step meetings for a variety of process addiction. Mm -hmm. It looks like me having a clean house and having excellent health care. It looks like me really addressing chronic illness and investing in my own recovery. Um, you know, going to doctors other than my Obamacare doctors and like paying mm -hmm. out of pocket for yeah. treatments and protocols yeah. to help. I, I've yeah. been diagnosed with uh, Epstein-Barr and lupus and fibromyalgia and chronic fatigue and mm -hmm. post-traumatic stress. I mean, I, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot, you know, and that's, yeah, it's a lot. So, and so you, I, I understand, you know, you say you're taking all these actions, which are huge, like mm -hmm. that, that's, that's really good self-care. I'm wondering where you're at in the, I call it the low level frequent, the, the low level frequency radio that just kind of plays nonstop inside my head. That can be that damaging voice of, you know, it's actually my, you know, my parental voice and what my parents were given as well, I imagine, of that kind of, you know, like what's what's the self-talk like internally? It shifted a lot this week, actually, because it shifted from like, you know, when you lose a parent or somebody significant to death or to a breakup or whatever, to death, I think more specifically you know it's like that tooth that comes out and you just keep licking the hole in your gum and like where is it where is it what was it yeah. is it you know and it's like for me it was an infected tooth so it's like I don't know where I'm going with this analogy but as to take it back to emotions you know I've mostly been for weeks I've been in a lot of rage and then, and it was real rage. It wasn't like rage on top of sorrow. I mean, there was also sorrow, but like usually when I'm enraged, it's it's something that's layered on top of, of like this was just like raged, yeah. you know? And like yeah. that, a lot of that rage, you know, started because I was underfed and, and not when nurtured. When she cut off your hair. <laughs> she cut off my hair. She uh, allowed me yeah. to be perpetrated by a number of, molesters and I mean it was it was not it was not a, a you know June yeah. Cleaver situation yeah yeah and there was other kinds of ritual abuse that uh you can find out about in my one woman show the mysteries of the Denver airport <laughs> <laughs> um but no in all seriousness like I had a conversation with my dad who was married to my mom for 60 years who was still in the house I was with her when she passed I was with her for two weeks before she passed 
I was with her at the moment of her death. I was the only family member with her. And, you know, I still didn't have that. There was not that big moment like, Kelly, you're going to want to go. You're going to have this amazing experience. It's like, you know, I said things to her. I mean, her last words to me were, get me a martini, God damn it. Yeah. Yeah. Even after all the years of dementia, she still wanted a cocktail. I was giving her, I was the only one in the family who was willing to give her the morphine, who was willing to her. I had medical, I had CBD with me. You know, I was the only one that was willing to give her compassionate medication because everyone else just wanted her to stick around. Even though she was in diapers, she couldn't walk, she couldn't talk, she couldn't swallow. Like at the end, like I had more identification with her and more compassion for her, even though I didn't have that icky, codependent, enmeshed, weird relationship. But I had the straight up compassion and understanding. And then after she died, I found some of her writing and like, you know, she was an incredible interior designer and gardener and atelier. She made clothing. She was a beautiful woman. I mean, like I kind of took on, I got all of her jewelry because I was the youngest and the only girl and, you know, just getting reattached to that sort of, and I got this beautiful piece. It's this necklace of ISIS that she got at the British Museum in the seventies. And, um, and I just like, you know, ISIS, uh, is a mo- not, not the terrorist group, the goddess, um, <laughs> Her, you know, she's a multi-dimensional, many, many in-depth things about ISIS. But one of the things about ISIS has to do with ritual and hair care and like anointing yourself, mm-hmm. take, you know, like really adorning yourself, you yeah. know, so I've just yeah. kind of been taking back some of that, you know. So when just... you, when you say rage at, are you talking about rage at her or rage that she has passed? Well, my self-condemnation, like, and this shifted this week, was thinking that there was something wrong with me, that I didn't have more of that, like, what I misidentify as love, you know, this, like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to endure all of these things, but somehow I'm still going to be this dutiful, loving, amazing, compassionate, open, yummy, warm, you know, person, even though I have zero training. Right. I have was not given that software. That's something like I'm giving myself the best I can. So it's it it pisses me off. Like I have a lot of rage that I have to constantly kind of negotiate like, okay, this is how you're supposed to behave in this in this situation. This is what a compassionate person would do, even though in a lot of the situations I'm like, I don't care. I don't care what this person's going through. Like I'm over here just like trying to find a will to go on another day. I mean, I'm being yeah. like a drama. I've been very, you know, it's been very dramatic. Like my lack of connection to my own. I mean, that's just sort of a trauma thing too. Like not being able to have a connection to your own volition and forward movement. So, you know, I'm attaching to these, these, these aesthetic self care, beauty adornment, you know, just like taking what's left for me in this lifetime and like, enjoying it like that's something in like old school like I enjoy being a girl I love you know like I love putting on beautiful jewelry and a beautiful dress and fantastic makeup and making my hair look nice and being you know out in the world so wait so when you said you've been feeling a lot of rage that shifted for you this week into feeling a lot of rage or out of feeling I shifted out of it in a conversation yesterday because I did some writing on Sunday 
which was basically like putting together that like, oh, wait a minute. Like, I don't have to, there's no like dutiful behavior in a family like this. This is a family that has completely like, the only time they have been there for me has, is when I've had like high level visibility and success and they kind of glom onto that, steal my shine try to like take up, you know, you know, and this uh, last week I worked on a TV show and it was like the first time I'd worked in a minute and I didn't share it with my family. Mm-hmm. And usually I use that, you know, to feel, a to feel worthy and to get the approval yeah. and to be unassailable and to like keep them at bay. And like, I have to stay in California because I'm working in film and television and I'm on this track and I just have this new agent and this manager and I'm doing this and this. And, but no, it's like, no, I'm in California making a decision to take care of myself. I'm not going to come back and care for you. Like my yeah. dad's been like really like trying to get me basically to step into the role of, he just wants a, a hand and a heartbeat, you know, like yeah. he's calling all, you know, he was calling me almost daily I'm so lonely. I get up to make the coffee and I try not to make noise because I don't want to wake up your mom. And then I realize she's not there. Yeah. And I'm like, I make tea alone every morning. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot, millions of people make, make their beverage alone, are alone their entire lives. I'm beyond the halfway point in my life. As far as I know, I mean, there may be some crazy life extension that comes up in the next, but as it is, like, I'm not going to give up my last few years of vitality when I'm already, already struggling to, yeah. like, have any vitality and, you know, yeah. lose it in, yeah. in a situation, in a house where I've, I've tried to hang myself, in a house where I've been perpetrated. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's not, it's not happening. Well, I mean, one of the things that, that, well, actually two things about this, like, when uh, we're in, a, you know, three things actually so the first is i had read somewhere recently and i love this this uh psychologist spoke about how using the term dysfunctional family is misleading because it makes it seem like there are really functional families and really dysfunctional families when in fact all of us have had some form of dysfunction right and other doctors say like if if you don't if you claim that you experienced no trauma growing up then you're in denial and i right. and i love that because actually the the process of even being born is is yeah. traumatic right you know um and and what just knowing that can kind of take me out of of judgment of of myself versus others you know it's just a matter of how willing we are to be honest with ourselves right like and it doesn't mean everyone's trauma is equal that's not what i'm saying i'm just saying that it exists and and dysfunction exists well, and in all it's families. how you respond to it exactly someone can have a huge traumatic response to something that someone else wouldn't even react to exactly i mean because we're all we're all different our histories are different right. our dna is different and so okay so going back to this you know codependence which is is i think very excused in culture like this kind of like and 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 even that word right it's it's it gets kind of murky like can anybody really tell you what codependence means and like you know then i i've you know come up against the argument of oh well you know it's healthy to be dependent on other people and that you know like there's all these rationalizations which which it is healthy right a community is definitely a part and connection is definitely a part of life right exactly interdependence when you're separating from your family of origin who has a you know still a lot of dysfunctional patterns or whatever that don't serve you like what i'm seeing for myself is 
me staying in it, and many people get out of it by rationalizing, well, it's my family, I should be there for them, versus looking at what does it take for me to be a full adult and really, right. you know, becoming not an adult child, but an adult, right. like, you know, cutting the umbilical cord, right. which means like living in your own skin, your own life, even if it's uncomfortable. And, and I mean, for me, what I would want is to make that choice to care for people, not because I should be, because I want to. But that involves right. doing enough separation work for myself so that I can come around and have that experience. Because if you're constantly taught you should, you should, you should, and that plays big into eating disorders, there's a lot of um, a lot of eating disorders are a cover up of rage, you right. know, and 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 feelings of un undeserving, especially in and allowing oneself to be angry. Right. Right. So I think it's healthy that you're feeling rage. You oh know, and yeah. Then, and it's healthy that I'm, for me, what I realized with my eating disorder, um, it, the pattern for me more was about not eating. That's why I really don't yeah. like to identify as a compulsive overeater because that's just such a very small piece of the pie. Mm-hmm. And it's like, as somebody who was underfed and who my mother yeah. was trying to control my body and, yeah. you know, I... And I literally was underfed. Like she was dieting while I was in utero. Yeah. She was a model. Like she went into um, labor at a cocktail party. Like, you know, so I was hungry. Yeah. Hungry in utero. Hungry. I was hungry. Mm -hmm. And I'm still hungry. So when I don't feed myself, like the most important thing for me is eating and enjoying it and not yeah. restricting and yeah. not letting more than two or three hours go by without a nosh because yeah. that's how, you know, in the last year, the last nine months in particular, you know, I've released 45 pounds after putting back on, like going up to a top huge weight and just like, cause I'm feeding myself yeah. and it's counterintuitive yeah. because we're yeah. like, Oh, you have to do this much cardio and you have to eat this many calories and you and it's like no that's just like and and that's not what it's been it's like Cal guess what hun? today you're going to eat the mung bean noodles because you ordered a case of them on Amazon and you thought they were a healthy food because they had more protein and they <laughs> don't have fucking whatever you know it's like they're they're gluten blah 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 and it's like and you're going to eat the mung bean noodles today mm-hmm. and you're going to eat three nests of the mung bean noodles with butter and cheese and that's what your meal, and you're probably not going to lose weight today, but that's what you're eating, hon. Yeah. Because that's what's in the cabinet, and this is what you get to eat, and that's sort of like the reparenting too. Because mm-hmm. little Kelly would be like, "No macaroni and cheese for you, Mama Sita." Yeah, yeah. It's like here's some, you know, here's some tomato slices, and I'm going to make you some special ketchup. And then would you relapse out, out of that later? Yeah, I mean, or, that's yeah. the, you know, yeah. the deprivation. It's like yeah. Halloween, like, yeah, I went next door and I had two Reese cups. Yeah. You know, because mm-hmm. I don't have to have it be like this white knuckle thing mm-hmm. where I never am going to eat chocolate again. And guess what? I wake up and I have my celery juice and I, I you know, I eat a salad. I, you know. Yeah. It's yeah. not, it's not, and one is not virtuous and one is not, not virtuous. Yeah. Cause yeah. anytime I'm nurturing myself and not skipping a meal is self care. Yeah. You know, but what's shifted out of, from the rage to like the real, <sighs> this was like a huge shift. Like this, de- the detachment went from being theoretical to this morning when dad called 
and try, you know, he turned up the volume on the controller manipulation because he can mm-hmm. feel I've cut the cord. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, I'm not, yeah. I don't need money. Yeah. I don't need, you know, it's like, there's nothing there for me. Yeah. There, well, in the know. old needy connection way, you know, and that's something I'm looking at in myself is, is what is the connection if I don't need you? But how nice to have connection with people and not need them and just have them add right. to your life well, and appreciate that's them. That's integrity. You know? And that's yeah. what I, you know, going back to like, what is codependence? I know what codependence is because of how I feel when I'm relating to another person and I'm pulled out of my authenticity and I'm pulled out of my true capital T, capital S self. When I can't be my true self with somebody, then there is a codependence and yeah. inauthenticity and a distortion and I'm not interested. Unless it's a little distortion and there's a big paycheck yeah. <laughs> or some sort of, you know, unless there's really, like if I have to do a little bit of a, a twist to like, we all have uh-huh. to make adjustments. Nobody's perfect. Yeah. I mean, the whole culture is codependent. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's, yeah. It, it's, it's just the way it is. But this morning when he turned up the volume and was like, well, I'd like you to come home for my funeral. And I was like, okay. Like, yeah. And I wasn't saying it to be mean. I was like, okay. I can yeah. Do that. Yeah. Not playing into it. You know? Yeah. And then I got off the phone and I had my uh, celery juice. And allowing yourself to be uncomfortable. And I didn't feel angry and I didn't feel, and then I didn't feel guilty for yeah. not feeling yeah. sad or upset that I couldn't be there and da 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 da. It's like I've really processed yeah. the reality of it and I have enough support around me that can say it's okay. You know, there's this whole theory around um, uh, adult children of alcoholics that says um, basically. Uh, the food, uh, job dysfunction, relationship dysfunction, like uh, whatever it is, whatever kind of codependence we choose to tap into is really a cover-up of the grief. And I i know you said you've dealt with a lot of the sadness, but it might be a deeper layer of that, of like shedding of, you know, deep like primal stuff, right? You know, like I'm, you know, I have had, for example, like I've had, you know, just events that happened to me that I would have shared about many times and as of recent I find myself having a whole new experience around them of connecting to the feelings of of what I was actually feeling while that was happening whereas Mm. for years I've discussed those things and I was like oh I don't know it just happened or maybe I was passive-aggressive about it or something like that and now I look back at it and I could just you know maybe my heart gets flooded with oh my gosh like that's what I was feeling holy cow like Mm -hmm. oh got it that's where I'm coming from I'm just wondering if it's just a deeper layer of connection you know and and that going back to, um, you know, why do we think a, a, any feeling should ever end, right? Because it's a constant flow, you know, that and and why would you push any of that away, you know? Well, I'm going to open a big can of worms. I know we're probably getting towards the end of the podcast, but... Do it, just go for it. I, um, you know, my mom and my family, family on that side were involved in some very uh, military mind control creating altars I I consider that my mom was a high level sex slave her first husband was um, a captain in the navy military intelligence her sister who looked just like her was also married to a captain in the navy 
who was in White Sands in the 50s during all the UFO flaps. Like, there's a lot of, this is all going to be in the mysteries of the Denver airport. But, <laughs> like, like I'm now, like, I'm finding the research that attaches my mom and her first two children who were, like, living on McDill Air Force Base when she met my dad, which was, like, a mile from my house. And, like, this weird German shrink who was doing this behavior modification on me, but not treating me for the fact that I had been you know sexually and ritually abused from the time I was two so it's basically you know ritual abuse and trying to create altars and split a person's soul so they can install other characters Mm -hmm. so you can become like the star the sex slave the spy the assassin like I know this sounds absolutely crazy but it's like I believe that that was what I was meant to do and I feel like one of my altars developed the eating disorder and pulled the whole thing off the table. So the whole investment in my training and the creation of this high level mind controlled high level slave was taken off the table. And this is probably where you're like, I want to make a disclaimer. Uh, my my interviewee Kelly is completely delusional, but like this is Wait, what I just, I need to go back just to get clarity. Yeah, uh, just for the record, I do not think you're delusional. Okay. Come on, this is juicy. Like, everybody wants to hear this part of the story. I'm pretty sure. Um, so just going back to, I just need clarity on when you said you believe this is what you were meant to do. What exactly do you believe you were meant to do? I believe I know that I was involved in some training and some ritual abuse that was, I mean, in a way, the entire country is under ritual abuse. All of these false flags, it's called trauma-based mind control. So basically, they traumatize the public with something like 9-11 or something like that. what happened yesterday in New York or something like what happened in Las Vegas. And then they flood everybody with like a bunch of bullshit narratives and then they install whatever they want. Like, okay, now we're going to increase the war. We're going to do this. We're going to take away your rights. We're going to do this. And people are just so traumatized and... They have no idea what's going on. And now with the internet, I mean, the last election cycle, it was Wait, let's, let's, let's take it back to artificial intelligence. You, like, yeah, yeah. you know, people don't know what's real. But so, so taking it back to you and what you think you were meant to do, what exactly is it that you think you were meant to do? Um, I think that I was meant to be a monarch slave, which is basically like um, an individual who's gifted. Like mm-hmm. I'm a gifted intuitive. I'm a gifted psychic. I'm very smart. Uh, I'm very beautiful. I was very athletic. Um, and I was watching this woman. I was watching this video of this woman who was deprogrammed. She was in her late fifties. She was super athletic. And I, all of a sudden she starts talking about McDill air force base. And I was like, Oh my God, that's where my mom was living with her two older children who are completely shattered. One is a schizophrenic. One of whom was my rapist. The other one tried to kill me. Their father was a captain in the Navy and one of them used to like go away to Morocco, go away to South America and like show up with a bag of rubies. Like, I don't know what he was doing. He was probably like a fucking assassin. I don't know. I'm just like, tell, like, wait, how do you know this woman was deprogrammed? What does that mean? She was full on, like did it. Like she was like, she would like, you know, like the born identity. Like she'd wake wow. up in, in, okay. in another room. She wouldn't know. She'd have a weird passport. There'd be blood on her shoes. Like, you know, like she was doing, they can snap and like, they can make people do shit. Yeah. You know, yeah. like become an assassin, and who's, become and what a spy. Kind of... Like they'll take like even Marilyn Monroe, like they'll take these high level people that are interfacing with politicians around the world. 
they'll be carriers for information because they can like store information but not really have access to it until they have an altar and then they have handlers which will like trigger them into different altars and their different altars have different functions and who's they you mean the government is this the secret government the secret government the secret the secret government <laughs> the secret <laughs> shh. shh and see that tattoo the shh mm-hmm. you see the mm-hmm. shh tattoo on a lot of the hollywood starlets mm. because mm-hmm. they're all being shh about the weird rituals that are going on right here in hollywood mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. i mean there's a lot of weird stuff going on this is okay, babylon so, but wait so you think you were you were meant to be a, a slave you said a monarch slave right yeah and so and then you said one of your alters was this eating disorder to fight well, against it. I feel it. like when I was watching this woman, uh-huh. I was like, she's super athletic. So she could like jump a fence, kill somebody, seduce somebody, blah, 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 blah. But like there was a part of my soul that was unscathed. It was like, I'm not down with this. I yeah. do not consent to this. You can put me through all of this. You can ritually abuse me. You can split me. You can create altars. But guess what? In my core, my little Buddha, my little Kelly girl, she's going to eat the fuck out of some sheet cake and she's not going to be like a sex slave. She's not going to be a a tool for your agenda. So how do you think it is that you believe that your true self believes that you were meant for that? Because it sounds like the eating disorder part of yourself is actually giving you very valid information that sounds like your true well, self. Well, I it just this is just like a new well, I've been studying and researching this information for 20 years in the abstract, fascinated with it. Like and then just in the last cup like in the last couple of years I'm like, "Wait a minute. Like why was my mom living on an air force base when her husband was in the navy?" It's like, "Oh, he was naval intelligence." And then like my other uncle like is naval intelligence and like it's just just you know like what goes on all is not as it seems oh when you say you're meant to be you mean not what uh, you mean what your parents wanted you to be not what you right feel like you're meant to be okay got right it. I thought like you meant i threw that you a, that this i threw a wrench yeah. in it like this yeah. part of me did not yeah. consent yeah you know i do yeah. not consent to this now if this is something you know it makes sense to me. It makes sense to me. And there's another, you know, part of the programming, which is the constant desire to kill yourself and like leave your body to get like, if you're not on the mission, like to take yourself out. So, you know, what, what other kinds of things have you learned about this? This, I don't even well, know. Well, a lot of, it, you know, the, the cutting of the hair. I mean, if you look at what Britney Spears did to herself, because she didn't want to be, you know, like they want like the long blonde hair. They want, they, they do different, they have different sort of archetypal Anna Nicole, like they have archetypal sex slave, monarch sex slaves that are passed around, you know, eyes wide, eyes wide shut. I mean, this stuff is real. This isn't like, like, and then, you know, the, the predictive programming is to put it into the, to the you know, to seed our consciousness with the information by having it. Oh, we're, this is the born identity. Oh, well, that doesn't really happen. Yeah. The Las Vegas mm-hmm. shooter mm-hmm. wasn't a super sh- soldier. He wasn't CIA. There was no, the CIA is not running ISIS. Like it's like, there. no one really knows what's going on. I'm not claiming to know what's going on. But like, if I'm looking at the possibilities of the narrative of my life story and what happened to my mom and where she came from and what happened to my two older brothers and 
I would say it seems highly likely. And then there's new, I am flooded almost daily with a new realization. Like, well, what was that weird German psychiatrist? I mean, you know, after World War II, the government, the United States government, not the secret government, um, brought these German scientists, these Nazi scientists to the United States to train and to learn how to control the population. Right? Yeah. They, they want, and they actually, Edward Bernays, who was Sigmund Freud's nephew, was on Madison Avenue, like training people, like Telefunken, they created television, they created marketing, they created this consumer society so that people get, gave up their true identity and their um, autonomy and their connection to the community and the earth to like think that their real decision making is like how many brands of Clorox, how many, you know, like... And it became this control grid and this substitution. And then it's tied in with the banking and the money system and, you know, just creating this completely just not human. It's not human. It's not human friendly. It's not a human friendly way to live. Well, so how are you navigating that for yourself with that kind of information? Well, I'm aligned with certain people like Laura Eisenhower, who's Dwight Eisenhower's great granddaughter who there's a lot of us. I never considered myself one of them. I always just looked at their stories and communicated with them and befriended them. And, you know, but it's sort of like, oh, but it's like, that's my story too, right? Like, it's like, it's compartmentalized. Not everybody knows everybody who's doing the same thing at the same time, but it's like, you know, and then the, I, 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 yeah. I don't want to denigrate myself by backpedaling and saying that this is just some, it could, you know what? It could just be like, it started out like I want to write a one woman show about the esoteric nature of reality and the military industrial complex and the negative alien agenda. And I started researching it and then I realized like, Oh, this isn't just some fancy thing that they put fluoride in the water, that they genetically modified our food, that the medical industrial complex is like destroying the biology of love, including referencing back to what you were saying about how we're born, birth mm-hmm. trauma, being in a room with horrible lighting and then having being pulled out with tongs, having the mother completely sedated being drugged, being vaccinated while the mother's pregnant, being vaccinated for a venereal disease at birth. Like, why are they giving hepatitis shots to infants that only last till their age? I mean, it's just like the culture is quite anti-human. So I can't help it. That's what I'm passionate about. And I feel like my passion has evolved out of the fact that I was on the extreme end of the exploitation of that and that I have the intelligence and the spiritual insight and the courage to see it and to investigate. Well, and but so how do you navigate even just daily life? I'm wondering. It's know? extremely isolating. And yeah. the more, you know, I, I'm, I already am like feeling some, like I did a video blog yesterday. Talk, I like for the first time I talked about it publicly in a, in a live stream. Um, because I wanted to like, oh, I'm going to mask it. I'm going to do the one woman show and it's going to be a character. And, da, 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 da. and it's like, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't mm-hmm. know. I Maybe I, it'll still be a character. I don't, I don't. But, you know, my writing teacher said, like, once you put something on paper, like, I mean, because he starts out, you know, like, you're journaling, you're journaling, you're journaling, you're, it's like, you're writing, um, but then you want to change a detail, right? It's like what happened with 
James Frey, yeah, right? Yeah. Like, but that was so disgusting what Oprah did to him. I was so mortified. Like, she, out of her own ego, because he changed some of the details in his memoir to, like, this horror was called this, and I took this many drugs instead of this many drugs. Like, she totally, like, eviscerated him on international television, right? But anyway, my teacher said once you put something down on paper, it actually is real. There's no difference between fiction and reality. So it's kind of like... And that's the dialogue, you know, within the mysteries of the Denver airport. It becomes philosophical. The show, it's like a philosophical discourse regarding like, well, if that's what you choose to believe, then that's what's so. Yeah. Like if that's yeah. what you choose to believe, then that's what's so. So most days I'm like, don't choose to believe that, sweetheart. Yeah. If, if your mom really, if that really happened, if that really happened to your brothers, if that really happened to you, that's not what's happening today. You're yeah. living in a beautiful yeah. place. There's not too many chemtrails today. You're not drinking the fluoridated fluoridated water. You have grain-free, GMO-free, puppy food. Like, I try to focus on what I'm able to manifest and have that is not under that horrible control grid. And I think that is, like, the ascension is, like, coming, coming past that and knowing that we can... Like, once... I mean, the fear is what gives whatever the powers that were are or were like that's the fear and it is like the essence of the control like if you're not in fear of financial insecurity you know but it's been it's been very gnarly like mm -hmm. not wanting to participate in you know like even being on you know on disability like having to go and like oh yes i'm taking my gabapentin you know <laughs> like just yeah. accumulating a drawer full of medicine so i can pretend to be compliant so I can get the resources I need to really go and like get, you know, high quality organic crystalline CBD or vitamin B12 injections or whatever other pan panoply of, of alternative treatments I do to, to get better. I mean, I think you bring up, you know, of what you're saying that the challenge I would imagine is if you're armed with all that information and that, is your reality it's it becomes so depressing that then it goes well how do you even have the motivation to do anything really like you that's know exactly to do, right you know. and that's the trick of like when you when you've been under and essentially like whether i'm like at this level of mind we're all under mind control because of the television because of the media because of the rollout of artificial intelligence like it's happening facebook like it's happening it's already happening so you know, we already have like surrendered our volition. Like we are, you know, but it's like taking back my will. Like the hell, you know, the, as they say in the 12 steps, the proper use of the will. Like having a will. Yeah. To me, it's about having a will. Mm -hmm. Like what can, you know, in Buddhism, the Buddhism that I practiced for 30 years, like earthly desires are enlightenment. It's not about detaching, yeah. right? It's like, I love this color on my wall and I'm just going to sit here when the sun sets and hits it in a certain way and the leaves from my, you know, snake plant, like hit the, you know, the Venetian blinds. I'm just going to enjoy that. And I'm going to pet my puppy and like paint my toenails, like mm -hmm. just something, you know, just aesthetics, beauty, color, nature, people. But it is very, you know, it's very difficult because I'm not that interested in dialogue I mean, I'm interested in helping people learn this, but if somebody doesn't, not everybody has the capacity and it's almost like a, a, 
you know, and then this started for me with the chemtrails and the geoengineering, like, like talking about this years ago and it became like this demarcation, like, well, there are people that can see the sky and they really think that like 5,000 planes flew out of LAX and made a, a checkerboard pattern in the sky today. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and I'm like, but I'm watching it spread. I'm watching the sun disappear. I'm feeling very aberrated and strange. I feel like the whole electromagnetic field is being affected. I'm an empath. Like I'm a psychic. Like I know it's not real. So it's like at a certain point I gave up, like uh, again, referencing the 12 steps, I resigned the debating society. Like I don't have to, I don't have to, if someone else doesn't understand it, that's fine. There's many, and their reality doesn't include that. And I'm happy for them because it is not a uh, fun. It, I mean, talk about bearing weight. It's a lot to carry, right? Well, it's like sifting out all that information. Just uh, one must, one must sift out all that information just to kind of bring it back to just as simple as what brings you joy and live from, from that perspective. Right, exactly. You know, and do work from that perspective of, of yeah. you know. And then now, because we are in an awakening process and we are so much further along than we were several years ago when all of this started for me, which is like being in New York, watching the towers go down, watching the second tower get hit, being at ground zero as a FEMA volunteer and knowing all is not as it appears. There are no toilets. What happened to the toilets on 210 story buildings? There's not a single toilet in the rubble. It's just dust. I mean, this is not what it seemed like that sort of like put the crack. That's when I started to, you know, that, that was my red pill moment. Right. Well, what do you, what do you mean about that? Cause if there, if there are no toilets that they, they wouldn't have just all gotten destroyed in the explosion. This is, I'm confused. As well, how to, how it was that. 210 story buildings that pancaked one floor yeah. after another. Yeah. In a normal demolition, there would be toilets. I was there and for months and months it was burning. There was dust, but there were no, and there were no bodies. There were no, you know, like one day they brought a foot out, but there were no, it was not normal. I don't know what happened. I don't know if it was a directed energy weapon or mini nukes or, but, but it was not a fucking plane like flying into the building and catching on fire. Cause I, I make tea every morning. I can leave the, the, the gas stove burning and the metal doesn't, you know, it doesn't give in. Like, that's not what happens. But what about for people that saw the planes crash into I'm the I'm not saying, I, I don't know. I don't know. I saw the second plane hit. I don't know. I don't know if, I don't know. I mean, I don't, the story doesn't work for me. So what are you saying? You just, you don't know about anything or that? The, the I'm saying are- for me at this point, the most powerful expression of my intellect and my spirituality is a question mark. I don't know what happened. I know it's not what they said happened. I know I watched, you know, a chain of Brinks trucks line up to bring out a giant pile of molten gold. And once they retrieved that, the firefighters were called off the pile. There was no more search for life. There was, you know, it's like, it was not... It was not, uh, you know, that was my red pill moment, uh, referencing the matrix. Like that was my red pill moment and I've never been the same. And I, I would say now, you know, what it's 16 years later and there is a giant community. And part of that is also a psychological operation, which is a, 
you know, a lot of the truther community is BS. You know, it's like you don't know. So you just really have to get into your heart and like, who can you have a conversation with? And when I find somebody, you know, I have some healers, I have a couple of friends, I have an internet community. Um, it's like oxygen. And when you say you're psychic, in what way does, does that mean to you? Because some people associate that with telling the future, for example, you know. I, I can tell the future. I mean, I, I do tarot readings. Like, I just did two readings for two girlfriends that are in new relationships, and they were absolutely accurate. Um, mm-hmm. I precognate things. I just, insignificant, you know, nothing in particular. Like, there's, like, synchronicity. Um, can you see it for yourself? Yeah. Like, I was driving to get water in the marina yesterday, and I'm like, I'd like to stop at you know, this store and pick up a, a, a rock, you know, if there's parking, I'm going to do it. And like, right as I'm coming in, the rock star parking spot opens right in front of the store. There was like profound transactions in the store, you know, where I could say things like, oh yeah, I turned off my debit card on the app because I keep changing timelines this week. <laughs> so I don't want to have to keep calling the bank to have them reissue the card because I changed timelines and like they, they get it. It's like a, Shorthand for like, yeah, we're living a mystic life and things are not as they seem. It's not linear. It's multidimensional. There are many timelines. Timelines are collapsing. Timelines are expanding. And it's like, this is the moment to like choose. How do you want to live? How do you want to feel? Like we are being emancipated. I don't believe, I, I feel like we have already gone through the ascension and now it's just like this mop up. And it's like, for me, it's that discipline of holding the highest choice in every moment like how I want to live how I want to be how you know and not letting any sort of programming about how my relationships should be how my lifestyle should be who I should be hanging out with how I should be making money how I should be moving or not moving it's just like open blank slate question mark wow it sounds like you're in a really good place yeah I think yeah and when you're saying that, you know, the redness in your cheeks kind of dissipated and I saw you seem very like grounded oh, really? from, yeah, mm. grounded from your, your gut. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, that's it. And that's, it's like, you know, this has been another opportunity to confront my cognitive dissonance about the nature of my own reality, because there is very little, very little support for this, kind, <laughs> this kind of excavation and mm-hmm. but I find it because you know yeah. because I feel like we all have our own truth and the more we can like lean into that truth and let go of all of the externalization and the control grid and the artificial intelligence and the technology and and, and then you know and the technology we're here making a podcast it's going to be yeah. you know out in the airways Maybe my star family and the Sirius star system will hear it and go, go Kelly, she's awake, yay. Our little star seed's doing her mission. Finally, yay, she put down the sheet cake. Um, so we'll yeah, see. Yeah, that's a way to block it Yeah, now we get to before, bring, yeah. like again, you know, referencing Buddhism, like everything has like a hellish nature and a Buddha nature. So we get to bring the highest potentiality to all of the technology, even if it was designed to completely, you know, dehumanize us and control us we still get to say no guess what i'm awake because of the technology 
And no, I will not be putting on a virtual reality goggle anytime in this lifetime. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, uh, so we have to, neither have I, just for the record. (laughs) I have enough implants, thank you. Um, people with those glasses on, I, it just looks so hilarious to watch them. It's it amazing. makes me sad. It's amazing. Kelly, thank you so much. You're welcome. <laughs> that was fun. You're welcome. So after my interview with Kelly, she did a psychic reading for me. And this podcast was actually recorded a few months ago. And I have to say, uh, during that time, most of what she said has actually come to fruition. If you're curious about Kelly or you'd like to get in contact with her or learn more about her, you can email her at kelly at redpillmedical.com. Thanks for listening. I'm Jacqueline, the Herapist. <laughs>